Today, we've got a couple individuals who have helped entrepreneurs out there generate hundreds of millions of dollars from exiting their companies and Amazon brands. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Sellers have lost thousands of dollars by not knowing that they were hijacked perhaps on their Amazon listing or maybe somebody changed their main image or Amazon changed their shipping dimensions so they had to pay extra money every order. Helium 10 can actually send you a text message or email if any of these things or other critical events happen to your Amazon account. For more information, go to h10.me forward slash alerts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. We've got a couple of people here who've been helping serious sellers for years, uh, Danielle and Scott. How's it going? Great. Excellent. Now, right off the bat. Uh, right off the bat, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say something. You know, people are, might be looking at my shirt, wondering what's going on. Now, we're going to be talking about this new thing that we have called Exit Ticket, about how uh, helping sellers, uh, you know, take exits perhaps from their brand. You recognize this logo, um, Scott? Here, <laughs> absolutely. That's old school. The yeah, old, that's OG. <laughs> the OG Helium Ten logo. You know, I wore in honor of this. You know, Scott's actually one of the people who helped. Um, you know, the founders of Helium 10 have an exit, you know, uh, uh, of sorts. So so he has a lot of experience with with exits and 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 selling brands and 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 things of that nature. So he's the perfect person to talk about this. But before we get into what in the world is is exit ticket and things like that, Danielle, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time you're on the Serious Sellers podcast, right? Yes, it is. Honored to be on. Very first time. Awesome. But Scott was here uh, last year or earlier this year, uh, episode 295, guys. So if you want to go you know, check out some of Scott's backstory, make sure to check out episode 295 of the Serious Sellers podcast. But, but Danielle, where, where, um, where are you located right now, actually? Right now, well, I'm a New Yorker, but I recently, with COVID, I was mm-hmm. able to, me and my husband work remotely full-time, so now we're down in Myrtle Beach. So okay. it flops all year round. And A lot of people moving to Florida. A lot of people yeah, moving yeah. to Florida, Texas, around uh, you know, around there from from California, New York, and things. I, I could definitely see the New York or hear the New York uh, accent there, a little yeah. bit. Uh, did you go to college in New York or where? Yeah, so SUNY Binghamton. Uh, oh, I know, I, I know, I've heard of that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's all capital S U N Y, and then like a um, yep, yep. I've seen uh, there was actually I right. think you had a basketball team if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, I have, what's the mascot there? I got to learn a new mascot today. Uh, you remember? The, the bear cat, the bear cat, bear cats. Okay. There I know a new college mascot there. Now, what was your major? I majored in finance and also MIS management information systems, a little bit of a technology background. Okay. Okay. Now, now what was your journey to kind of like the e-commerce world? Like how did you get here and what do you think of it so far? I oh, love it, but I have an interesting journey and a lot of people in the industry probably have heard my story. It kind of centers around Athena, but I've always worked for large big banks, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. So I was always kind of been in that financial world, customer service. And mm-hmm. uh, literally one day I was on Amazon, I was at my desk and I ordered uh, a headset, uh, sorry, uh, a headband. And a okay. week later it came and it was like the wrong color or the wrong size, whatever it was, it was only about $10. So I happened to call I went onto Amazon. I was like, I didn't order this color. Purple's not my thing. I remember ordering black. So I had called and 
I didn't really know at that point, which sounds so silly, that Amazon was actually full of sellers. I thought you called Amazon. There were Amazon employees. Yeah, so to yeah. me, I was like, I called this number that was on the listing and I heard this woman, she was dropping groceries. Her dog was barking. She was talking to children. And I was like, who are you? Where are you? So to speak. And I was like, oh, I must've got the wrong number. And she was like, oh, are you calling about this company? And I was like, yeah. So we got to talking. Anyway, she refunded me with the headband, but you know, I was like, how did you get into this? So to make a long story short, she synced me up with, I think, at that time, it was the the OPP operations physical products course, and then all of a sudden, a couple months later, I went on her first or second China Magic trip with her, and that's oh, exactly wait, 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 how wait. I. The, well, you're talking about Athena. The, it was Athena, Athena who you randomly called. Right, Athena, isn't that what in the wow. world? <laughs> that's crazy. So, guys, you know, Athena was just on the podcast a few episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, ago, Athena Severi. That's that's crazy. Yeah. I know Athena's Why like, was she putting her industry? cell phone number on, on, on the Amazon storefront there? What's going on? <laughs> That's the first question I asked her. I'm so yeah. skeptical. It's, why is your personal number on? I guess she had something happened with the supplier where she had the wrong style or colors and it was like on a massive scale. So to avoid, you know, bad ratings or whatnot, she put her phone up there saying, oh, contact me if something's wrong with your order. Um, so that's how I got to her. But, you know, we instantly clicked. She's just, you know, I have never heard this story. This is, uh, this yeah. is great. We love and so then you started so, selling on Amazon yourself? Yeah. So she convinced me. She was in the same position where she was, you know, inside uh, like a corporate America setting that just didn't fit for her. But especially with the young kids, you know, having no flexibility, she talked me into this course, which I purchased. And then right when I was um, launching my first product, I was in China, China Magic. So she got me on that trip. And that's exactly where I met, you know, the rest of the crew in the industry as well as Scott. And then me and Scott probably didn't sync up for about nine months later. Scott had called me and was just like, hey, but what's going on? You know, <laughs> you want a job, so to speak, with Northbound? <laughs> and um, yeah, it was, as we joke about this too, I'm like, yeah, definitely. Just meeting Scott and his character and hearing him speak at the China Magic trip, you know, I kind of mm-hmm. took a leap of faith and, you know, left my career at, uh, you know, Morgan Stanley and just did it. So I do have my Amazon business running on the side right now, very small scale, but it does help me with my current clients, you know, and just kind of being active in that community. So my main focus is the northbound role for me. So I'm definitely okay. versed in in Amazon and understand clients' woes with the uh the super cool. Of, uh, super cool. Uh, I, I don't know, Scott. She might have a cooler backstory than, than yours when we, we went there. I mean, that's that's pretty unique. Oh, yeah, a- a- absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, you know, for me, it was this uh, – I was sitting around, and we were trying to expand the company, and I'm like, okay, I need somebody that's smart with numbers, that really understands high-end clientele, that understands Amazon, and I'm ticking through, and I'm trying to think, and all of a sudden, I go, I wonder what the heck Danielle's up to, uh, and uh, called her out of the blue and said, uh, you know, hey, you know, good to reconnect with you. Um, uh, you, you need a job, and can you start tomorrow? <laughs> love it. Love there, it. Was, there were no red flags that I spoke to a lady and met her in China a month later. No red flags. No red flags. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Let, let's take it now. Um, you know, now now talking about the industry that that both of you are in. You know, together. Um, and you know, just you know, right off the bat, you know, since the last time we had you on the podcast, I'm trying to look at the date. Uh, oh wow, it it was last year. It was November of last year, Scott, mm-hmm. uh, I believe. And so since then, I think you know, there's been maybe. Uh, you know, whether it's fake news or whether it's real, but this kind of like thought in the industry, like, oh man, you know, a lot of aggregator money has dried up and they're not paying as much anymore for, for people's Amazon businesses. And some of them are folding up or something, but, but what's the, what's the real story? Like what's the current state of affairs, uh, state of the union, as far as, uh, you know, Amazon businesses being bought and sold, uh, here at the end of 2022. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think the way I always think about it is um, on one level, you hear a lot of noise and your job mm-hmm. as a seller is to then filter through that noise and try and glean what's actually applicable to you. And so um, it is true. There's more uh, industry headwinds, I'll, I'll call it, in the sense that aggregators, there's some aggregators that, um, uh, you know, overpaid, uh, you know, for things and or growth hasn't happened uh, because of higher shipping costs, you know, uh, and those types of things. So there's certainly been some struggles at the aggregator level. Um, and that's been compounded by the fact that as interest rates rise, um, it gets more expensive to buy a company and finance it with debt. So you've got uh, unique things going on with the aggregators. Um, um, and then you've got also unique things going on with the, the economic conditions that are out there in the marketplace. Um, and what that means is that it is a more challenging environment now, and that's had some impact on multiples. The flip side of that is that uh, more than 80% of whether or not you should exit your business isn't based on the macro conditions. It's based on what you're doing and how well you're doing within your company. Um, and I would say we are getting contacted at Northbound more than even last year from buyers looking for great companies to buy. So if you have weathered through that storm, the market is actually quite good uh, because there's uh, other of your compadres out there, other sellers have struggled. Um, uh, and that means that you can uh, differentiate yourself better than what you could have, uh, you know, a year ago, last November, November, excuse me. Okay. All right. Excellent. Now, you know, we, the reason why you were on the uh, podcast late last year is because we had just launched a few, uh, a few courses or a few modules in freedom ticket, you know, about, you know, mm-hmm. how to set up your business for success and for a potential exit. Um, and we've had good feedback on those. There's probably, you know, a good half hour or an hour of, of information there. But what prompted, you know, th- this can be for either of you, but but what prompted, uh, you know, the thought that, you know what, we need some more education, maybe some more details on on how somebody can really have success with setting their company up for, for a potential exit? That's a great question, Bradley. And uh, here's why we created um, uh, the content that we did. Uh, First of all, the full exit ticket program that we built um, uh, is a much larger program, and we designed it for the serious seller or the advanced seller. And what we have found, because that's our specialty in the market at, at Northbound, is that there's actually quite a bit of work that you need to do now to both prepare for an exit and then execute the transaction if you want to get what we refer to as a premium valuation. And so we wanted to put out the, we took the six years that we've been doing this on Amazon and 20 years that I've been doing uh, transactions and said, how can we not design basic level content about multiples and ad backs, Mm -hmm. but really help sellers understand the two-step process of what you need to do if you want to execute on a premium exit. Uh, And so maybe the the content got a lot more uh, robust uh, and we've actually now got a full workbook that walks people step-by-step through it. And so uh, Danielle's an expert in what I'd refer to as the preparation phase. And, And so maybe Danielle, can you just talk a little bit about what's in that phase? And then I'll talk about the executing the deal phase. Sure, definitely. Um, a lot of people who come to us, our clients, think they're prepared to go to market. But you know, once they meet with us and other advisors here, they realize how in depth the process actually is. And you know, maybe them thinking that they were ready um, when they turn around and look at all of the check boxes, so to speak, that we cover here, um, it's probably the different story. So to start, you know, we say. 
the core to any good business is the financials. It's almost like if you're trying to sell your business, it's like going for a run without sneakers on. You know, if you don't have that core, it's going to be painful every single step <laughs> of the way. So, um, and I'm a runner, so I get that analogy. <laughs> but, you know, having the financials from day one is a huge help, help a lot. A lot of times clients will come in and they'll have Excel-based financials or financials they do themselves. We really stress from day one, you know, and obviously anything that's good for selling a business is good for running it. Meaning, so when you start your business day one, you always want to think of that exit in mind. So every step that you take, you should plan for that exit and interacting with buyers. The first step would be getting a accountant, a bookkeeper who's, you know, uh, an e-commerce specialist almost. We have a lot of clients come to us and say, oh, my mom is my accountant or my dad is, but you really want to find <laughs> uh-huh. somebody. And that's kind of a, a hard message to relay. You really want to find somebody in the industry who has the experience and they'll know how to set up your, your chart of accounts, how a buyer would like to see them. So not only that, you should be in a cruel format. That's also another big um, hot hot button with clients, you know, buyers will look at financials and maybe they'll be in, you know, cash format instead of accrual. And you really can't value a business and, you know, see the monthly. Real real quick. What's the difference between the two, just for, for those who might not understand that? Yeah. So uh, a lot of smaller businesses and it's more simple use the cash methodology, which means that you record revenue and expenses, you know, when they're received or dispersed, but accrual is actually recording revenue and expenses when they're acknowledged. So, you know, those Mm -hmm. transactions, when they occur, they'll be recorded and also not really when the money changes hands. So it's kind of a revenue recognition. So at a point in time, um, it will be, it's not really, you know, when, when cash changes hands, you don't just record it. And that's the most simplest way to do it. Um, but it doesn't give you an accurate you know, understanding of your cash flow every month operationally. It's not a good operational way to run, to bu- run the business. So with that being said, you know, when we get a new client, we like to have their financials cleaned up and we'll work with them to do so. But having it, you know, in QuickBooks with an e-commerce specialist in accrual formatting will definitely, you know, be the Kickstarter of it. And again, you want to make sure that you can do that, you do it continuously. When you get set up with a, a bookkeeper, you want to make sure there's a cadence going forward. So every month you'll review the financials with your accountant, you, you review your inventory levels and your balance sheet, things like that. So by the time you do get to the buyer, you're somewhat well-versed in speaking about your financials. You know, you don't want to go in blindly, go into due diligence and then have somebody start asking questions about your financials and not really get a glimpse into, you know, your balance sheet, your income statement, your cash flow, things like that. You don't have to be an expert, but you should know a basic understanding of it to be able to speak to your numbers. And you also want to make sure you're looking at your accountant's work to make sure that everything makes sense. Um, Also, once you pass the um, financial test, so to speak, we go on to forecasting. Now, forecasting is really, really important because it'll allow you, as well as when you go to market the buyer, to kind of put you know, pen to paper and show where those targets are. You're going to want to forecast for your current products as well as your growth story, your, you know, their product pipeline, because buyers always want to see that growth as well. So, and it's really hard to achieve these forecasting goals when you don't actually have a goal in place to hit. So you want to make sure, you know, when you come to Northbound, we would do a call a bottoms up forecast. And you literally go into each SKU and forecast how many units per day, what's the landed cost, how many am I selling this month? What's the future going to look like? Will it be stock outs? You kind of want to mm-hmm. peek 
forecast every possible outcome along with your new product launches, you know, when they'll start, what will PPC be like? So this budget, you know, and the forecast should actually, you know, have a really good story, a good narrative. A lot of times clients will come and they'll say, okay, I'm going to market and I want to make my financials look really, really good. So let's just say I'm launching, you know, 20 products next month to beef up my valuation. Um, But obviously when you put that in front of a buyer, you want to make sure that you could speak to the story, make it realistic. So it's great to have those targets, but you have to also make sure you could hit them. You know, a buyer can see right through that if you're making, you know, uh, $500,000 a year and all of a sudden you're saying, oh, over the next, you know, 12 months or so, I'll be making $50 million. It's going to raise a lot of red flags. You want to have a growth story and make sure it makes sense to you. And then also adding in, you know, like I said, your expenses as well. So the budget side of it, you want to make sure you have your COGS, your, your overhead, your paid media, things like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, most importantly, which a lot of people don't tick and tie back to, are your ad backs. And ad backs are things that will get tacked back on for your valuation. So they would be considered, you know, one-time business expenses that the new buyer would not take over. Or, you know, maybe um, we get like a lot of one-offs where they've hired somebody and it didn't work out. Or, you know, they've hired a photographer one time and that product didn't go to market. So there's a lot of leeway you have with those ad backs. But I will say the one thing is about ad backs is that you have to be strategic about them. You don't want to put too many buyers will start to question the integrity of your historical financials if you put too many ad backs in. So you want to make sure that they're realistic. You know, obviously if they're true ad backs, you know, go go ahead and add them back, but you don't want to be putting in, you know, nickel and diming, so to speak. So not only will the dollar amount matter, but also the lengthy list of those items. Um, and obviously if it is a true ad back. You want to make sure you get credit for it. You know, if you have a 4X multiple on a dollar for every dollar of ad back, you get that 4X back on it. So it does add up pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, so to get a proper valuation, buyers, you know, will rely on that forecast, you know, they'll look at the historicals as well as the forecast going forward to really kind of gauge where your business is and where it's going. And I stress that growth is really important. Obviously, profitability and earnings are key, but that growth story, um, a lot of buyers will not like to see you say, okay, I want to sell my business. I'm done. My hands are washed. I, you know, I'm done. I'm not launching anymore. That's um, a big no-no, so to speak. Buyers mm-hmm. like to see that story. So, you know, if you're not continually launching products, they feel that, you know, the business is at a halt and you're going to just not, you know, continue to stay on for the ride and help it grow. So- yeah. And I, I, re- I really want to stress this forecasting one because what's happened from a year ago, like if we talk about last November to this November, is that the buyers have gotten much more sophisticated in how they analyze businesses. And so part of the reason why we put the whole program together is if you think about it very simply, um, a lot of sellers run their business and then they wake up one day and they want to sell it. Um, uh, and uh, and they go, okay, I should just go to market. And, and, and the real answer answer is, is that, um, and they've heard things like buyers only buy based on historical financials. So they don't think about putting together a future projection of what their business is. When in reality, the future profit of your business is the only thing that a buyer is buying. So we put the exit ticket program together to say, before you go to market and try and get the best you can, if you take a little bit of time, six months, 12 months, um, uh, and you prepare the company, um, uh, uh, for exit, as Danielle said, getting all your historical numbers in place, getting your forecast numbers in place, you'll start to see bottlenecks in the business today. And then we've got in the uh, module, I think it's module four, we talk about how can you remove those bottlenecks, which is how can you raise capital? 
How can you hire a team and scale a team? How do you improve your capabilities so that you get the trajectory of the business going the right way? And then modules five and six talk about the actual ability to now negotiate better because now you've got a more solid financial picture. You've got a better story. You've removed some of the bottlenecks rather than selling the company and then let the buyer sort of double the size of the company by adding capital in. A lot of times what you want to do is you want to scale up what's going well get that trajectory moving in the right direction and then go to market for exit. So, um, you know, back to that central question of why did we do this? It's because the market changed. It's not as easy to sell a company, but it can still be, and it still is for 90% of sellers, more than half the money you ever take home from your business is going to come from your exit. So it's still a necessary part of the equation, but the way you have to do it is more sophisticated. Um, and so we took all of the knowledge of all the deals that we've done and said, okay, let's put everything out there. Um, let's work with uh, you know, you know, the Helium 10 uh, community and say, let's set the bar very high at, you might not understand everything the first time through, but this is all of the things that you need to do if you want to get a seven or an eight figure type of an exit that's out there. Okay, cool. Now, now, first of all, this this is just great. I feel like Kevin King is on the podcast. You know, when Kevin King comes on, he talks for like so long that I can just like go to the bathroom and eat eat <laughs> lunch and dinner, and I don't have to you know do anything. But you guys are, are are handling most of this the the heavy lifting on this episode. I love it. I've already had my half of my uh, my protein shake right here. But anyways, I, I wish I had more guests like you. I can just kick back here. But um, I, he taught know, us well. <laughs> there we go. I'm definitely going to talk about. I want to talk more about this, um, you know, exit ticket and maybe some of the, you know, uh, the module names so people can have an idea about the level of detail we go into. But just in general, a question I, I've been wondering, you know, since you guys helped uh, have helped many, you know, sellers exit on, on average, you know, I know you don't have an exact number, but like, what's the percentage breakdown of people who are selling brands? They are only Amazon accounts or compared to the omni channel like maybe it's amazon plus their walmart account or plus a shopify uh, account etc like i mean i would if i were to estimate i would say at least 90 percent are only amazon or what, what are you guys seeing these days yeah so it, it's starting to change where sellers are starting to diversify a little bit um one of the things that we do is we always think about things from the buyer's valuation lens so that's one of the things you'll notice about the content and so um the percentage of sellers that are now somewhat omni-channel has increased but the relevant factor that we look at from a buyer's perspective is number one, putting up your own website on Shopify and so to speak, taking the business that comes in, that, that's certainly fine and acceptable to do that. But a buyer will really only value omnichannel if it's over a certain percentage of your revenue. And so there are a lot of people that try and go omnichannel just for the sake of doing it. Uh, and they'll do things like, you know, they'll they'll you know spend a lot of money on Facebook ads to drive five percent of their revenue from a, a Shopify site and it's not profitable. And they think that it makes them more valuable because they quote unquote have a brand, when in actuality it's made them less valuable because it's dropped their overall. Huh. profit percentage. And it's actually a distraction. If you think about it from the buyer's perspective, rather than just having to understand Amazon, now I've got to manage a whole Shopify funnel. Um, and, and so, you know, the one thing that we always encourage people is to think through the concept of, uh, if you think about your buyer, you know, uh, we, we use the mantra, if you think about your buyer as your ultimate customer, and you think it, with their benefits in mind, um, would they see it as a benefit for you to be, uh, 
uh, omni channel. And if it's just one or two or three or even 4% of your revenue, there's a lot more work to do to maintain that channel, but it's not driving a meaningful part of the numbers. And so the right percentage that I would look at would be is that you want to be north of 10% of your revenue. If you are going to omni channel, you better be able to get to 10, 15 or 20% of your revenue in that particular channel with similar profitability um, uh, so that a buyer actually sees that it is diversified the risk, which makes you more valuable away from Amazon, but it's meaningful enough that it actually isn't more work for uh, a lot of extra effort. And I think right now uh, of the, you know, the clients that we work with, you're right, 90% of them or 80% of them anyway are primarily Amazon dominant and they can have very nice valuations just being on Amazon and the landscape is starting to change. I know, you know, when we were at the, uh, you know, sell and scale summit, you know, there was a lot of focus by Walmart and there's a lot of focus on, you know, uh, you know, expanding into other geography markets. So those are some of the factors that I think a seller has to think through if they decide to omni-channel. Cool. Now, you know, Danielle, you know, we we don't give people's personal information out on, on here and things like that, but but without you know mentioning names or or, or naming businesses or, or products, any recent deals uh, or over the past year you can say like, hey, there is a a, a seller who sold their brand for you know, five hundred thousand dollars. There is one who did it for five million. Like any cool stories, just kind of like motivate the people. Maybe they're not ready yet, but kind of like what they can be looking forward to if they do things the right way. Yeah, for sure. So the current clients we have right now are, you know, running a bit of a premium. I hate to throw multiples out there because that's pretty much a hot topic. You know, uh, one of the clients that we just closed on was a premium business, evergreen product, you know, and was above that 5X multiple. Um, so, you know, his his secret was that he really never lost his vision. He was always continually um, updating products, you know, keeping his skin in the game and, you know, launching and bringing in team members to support him. I know a lot of um, the success stories we have are from people who surround themselves with the right team. So a a successful exit doesn't just mean like your product selection or your growth. It also means, you know, being in that right mindset with the right team as well. So, you know, one of the clients that I recently sold um, had that team, you know, he was able to continue running his business and focus on keeping his performance up because the last thing you want to do during due diligence when you're interacting with a client is spend time on the due diligence process because as you'll mm-hmm. see in the modules, that due diligence itself can be a beast of its mm-hmm. own. So, you know, not just the financials that are going to play into these um, success stories for exit, but it's really, you know, surrounding yourself with the right team who will get you over that line and being prepared um, you know, financially, as well as, you know, having that right mindset when to exit and just kind of sticking to your plan, you know. But just, you know, figure wise, like, like what, what's the low end, what's the high end of stuff that have happened in the last few months, would, would uh, you guys say? I'd say the last one that, you know, me and Scott did together, we got, you know, upwards of a 5x multiple. Uh, closer to a six, I would think between the five or six. Um, but again, that's because of the premium brands. You know, we've got mm-hmm. clients with larger earnings and what, what does that margins. translate out, uh, out out though too, for, as far as like the payout? Like I think that's what, you know, five X multiple off of, you know, $5,000 oh, of, of sales, you know, Oh, okay. So like on earnings of like 3 million, yeah. right? So like the TTM earnings, that's what we go by. You're trailing okay. 12 months, what your earnings were. And then you kind of, you know, with that multiple, there's different pieces to it. There's an upfront multiple. There could be stabilization payments. Um, inventory can get thrown into there. So, you know, all that adds up into negotiating a deal. 
So yeah, so yeah, think of it as a low eight figure exit. Uh, you know, so if uh, you know, if that motivates people to uh, get out of bed to know that that's possible, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, that you know that that's certainly uh, you know real money. Um, and one of the things that's also out there is is that um, uh, Danielle hit the nail on the head. Your multiple is not determined. A lot of people think that if you have more earnings, you get a higher valuation because that's one of those I'll call it myths that's out there um, uh, um, uh, and part of why we created exit ticket was to break down some of those myths your multiple is often determined a lot by the buyer's perception of your growth rate so if I have uh, uh, two million dollars of profit but I'm not growing, um, and I've got another company out there that has five hundred thousand dollars of profit, and I'm growing at thirty to forty percent per year. The smaller company, just mathematically, um, uh, will generate oftentimes a higher multiple. And the way that I always like to think about it is, if somebody talks about paying five times earnings for you, and you're not growing then you take the five and you do what's called the inverse of it. One divided by five is a 20% return. Because if I pay five bucks for something and I get a buck a year for the rest of time, I'm making 20% on that. So one of the key things that's important to understand is that even if you're getting larger, um, that growth rate and, and what Danielle says about re- keep investing in products and product growth is one of the best ways to drive a um, uh, you know a higher valuation for the business mm-hmm. um, uh, because it's just so critical to recognize that if I buy something for a 5x multiple and it grows at 50% per year, my effective multiple for the buyer, we call it the buyer's effective multiple, is closer to like a three. Um, uh, uh, and so it's you know very important that you, that's why this forecasting and all these things we talk about are, are so important is that it helps you really have, and I know we laughed about it when we were talking about it earlier, but we call it a eyes wide open exit mm-hmm. of just knowing what your exit is going to look like before you go through it so that you're not surprised. Okay. Now, um, the you know whether it's an aggregate or whether it's a private buyer etc you know what's usually the the minimum uh kind of re- you know I I know gross revenue is not the tell all thing of it you know the, if you're selling a hundred thousand dollars a year but but losing a hundred and forty thousand dollars a year it's you know it's not like you're, <laughs> you're you're very attractive to any buyer but but you know if somebody's doing the right stuff and and, and has you know decent profit margins like you know if I if my gross revenue is only a hundred thousand dollars per year. I, I, I highly, I would assume that, you know, that that's not really attractive to a, a buyer yet, but like for, for all the sellers out there who are already crushing it, you know, making millions of dollars or the other people who are working their way up it, you know, is there a general minimum that I, at least on the gross revenue side that I need to kind of like target where now I know I, I might start to be uh, attractive to buyers if the other numbers, you know, all make sense. Yeah. So I think, first of all, um, we always quote things in size of profitability, which is either seller's discretionary earnings. People have heard that term or EBITDA. Mm -hmm. Some people have heard that term. Um, And so the way that we think about, if you said the the kind of the pillars of valuation is um, if your EBITDA or your profitability is $100,000 or more in a year, there is a market for your company. 
And at the lower end of the market, if you have that in just a few products, you might have a lower multiple. So if you're in that 100000 to, let's say, $250,000 a year profit, you're probably going to have a lower multiple than somebody that has reached the next level of scale, which I would yeah. call like 250000 to maybe up to you know a million, and then a million and over, and then there's another you know a couple other tiers beyond that. But I think the, the point of it, what makes these businesses beautiful... <laughs> frankly, is that there is a wide market for lots of different types of businesses if you have profitable. Uh, and by profit, we mean more than 15% profit percentage. And if yep. you're growing, meaning that you're growing at more than 20% per year, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that if you don't have those numbers that there's not a market for you. But if you want to give yourself the best shot at doing it, and then we, the, the reason why the low end of the market sometimes is harder to exit is usually that the profit is all in one or two you know, products. Um, and, and that is not as diversified. Um, uh, and, and so that's kind of that that third key. But, uh, you know, there are definitely markets out there, you know, you don't have to feel like you can only exit if you're doing a million dollars of profit more a year. So to convert it to revenue for you is if someone was saying that they were doing, you know, um, uh, $750,000 of revenue at a 20% margin, that would be $150,000 um, worth of profit. Um, mm-hmm. And that might not be a premium multiple, like Danielle said, of a, 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 of a five. But, you know, if it's a three, um, uh, you know, and you take 150 times three, that's $450,000. Um, Um, uh, you know, you know, it, it, like the, because of the multiple, um, you know, it's not a bad idea sometimes if you haven't cashed out to build something up to a certain level, exit it, and then you can always rinse and, you know, repeat if that's your business choice. Cool. Yeah, cool. And just to add to that, I like to tell clients, because I get that question a lot, like, am I too small to actually sell? And I like to yep. remind them, it's not really, you know, what you make, it's what you keep. So no matter what your top line is, you have to have at least, you know, some type of margin that's attractive to somebody out there. You know, we consider anything below 10% really not sellable. We do sell things in the 15% range, as Scott was saying, obviously closer to 20%, you get the more attractive you'll be, but it really boils down to that margin. I mean, our earning size, yes, it'd be nice to have, you know, huge earnings, but really the first thing that I look at when I pull financials is what are they making? Because a lot of even these higher level sellers will come to me and be like, oh, okay, I'm making like $5 million a year. I'm like, that's great. Let's pull your financials. And they all automatically think like, oh, I'm one of the better sellers. I've got that 20 or 30% <laughs> margin. And, you know, they're in for a rude awakening. I show them their financials, like how am I making 9% margins, you know, so then we'll get into the ad backs and whatnot. But a lot of people don't know. And that's a crucial key to going to market. And that's one of the leading factors where we get clients in that we actually have to delay the, you know, going to market process. Because at this point, if you do want a premium exit, you know, no one's going to really look at your business at 5% margins. And that's exactly what Scott was saying. That's where, you know, the future forecasting comes into play. Because at that point, if you have an exit number in mind and a certain multiple or, you know, certain valuation, and you will, with that forecasting, see what month in the future I should actually be thinking about exiting and trying to stick to those targets to hit that goal. So key is margins. You know, anytime I pull a client in, it's it's that margin number. Okay, excellent. Now, uh, I have uh, one of the outlines of some of the uh, modules titles. So let me just give some of these out to to everybody out there just so you can understand the detail and the kind of insights you're going to get in this exit ticket program uh, that that Scott and Danielle have prepared for us. Uh, here's one that ha- under the module, know your numbers to know your value. We've got scenario analysis modeling. 
SAM, I guess is an acronym we can use <laughs> for that. There, I've never even heard of SAM uh, other than my friend SAM, uh, nor this uh, this topic. So I'm definitely going to look into that. Accrual accounting, we 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 uh, we touched on that a little bit today. Networking capital um, under your buyer is your ultimate uh, customer. We're going to talk about you know what drives strategic valuation. Uh, we've got one titled here, you know, taking on a minority investor. You know, that's a, a question I, I get, you know, on from some people asking if that's that's something that should be uh, should be done. How to negotiate a premium transaction? Glossary of key terms to understand in your traction, uh, your your transaction. Uh, developing your GTM package. What does GTM mean? You guys will find out if you don't know what that means uh, in module five point six. So, guys, we've got. Is it like what? Like maybe. 30, 30 uh, different mo- uh, like videos and, and training parts here? Yeah, you I, say, think, I think it's north of that now Yeah, because we added a few more in. So I think, yeah, we're northbound probably in the 30. Uh, of 30? Th- uh, yeah, 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 northbound. We're northbound of uh, 30, <laughs> probably 35 to 40 videos. Uh, uh, you know, And like you said, we, we want to go in-depth on these topics. So some of them are 10 minutes long. Some of them might be 20 or 25 minutes to really you know, make sure that people um, uh, you know, have the knowledge uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, to go through the process confidently. All right, guys. So if you want more information, just you know, an overview of what this is about, and and if you're not a Helium 10 member, just go to the the page h10.me forward slash exit ticket, h10.me forward slash exit ticket, and you guys can get some more information on um, the course there. But if you guys are already Helium 10 members and you're a, uh, you have got a Diamond account or an Elite account, you should already have access to it, um, probably from the, your Freedom Ticket page. If you don't see it or you do not know how to get in and you're already a diamond or elite member, just reach out to our 24, uh, 24-7 customer support and say you would like access to exit tickets. So um, maybe if one uh, each of you can give us a, a 30-second tip, it could be maybe something from the course or just something you've learned, uh, so, something you know, quick-hitting and actionable uh, on this topic that our listeners can take away. Either of you can start. One tip um, that's good. I like to remind clients a lot when they come on board, um, you know, back to that message, you know, whatever is good for selling a business is good for running a business, vice versa. And, you know, some of the clients that I speak with, a lot of times I tell them, you know, one of the key and core concepts when you're going to market, interacting with a buyer is transparency, 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 you know, be upfront about everything. A lot of questions we get from buyers, uh, you know, have you had any black hat tactics? tactics in the past, you know, months or things like that. And, you know, you'll obviously say, no, I haven't, but, you know, things like that will come up. I just want to reiterate that due diligence is a complete upside down of your world that you don't really understand until you're going through it, how much scrubbing they do. Um, so it's almost one of those things that could kill a deal, so to speak. So I can't stress enough, you know, being really upfront in due diligence, you know, if there's any problems, bring it to buyer's attentions um, and let them know, you know, for an ex- example where, you know, you know, I haven't done any black hat tactics in the industry. Anybody sophisticated knows at one point you probably did just to get that ranking. And now maybe you've gone to a white hat uh, model, but just, you know, reiterate that it's really important to kind of lay all your ducks out because people people like dealing with honest people. So the second yeah. a buyer gets any inkling of, you know, you're not telling the correct story during due diligence or even prior to that, it's not going to go anywhere. So they like to yep. make sure they can put trust in you as a seller. Cool. Scott, you got one? Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I've got a tip and then uh, a, a promise. Uh, the tip is right. this, understand the power of the multiple. Um, and before you go to market, uh, we call it doing a five for one scrub. 
and you literally go through your business from top to bottom and you find any way that you can pick up dollars. And I'll give just a couple examples. Um, uh, you know, you subscribe to a piece of software. Um, it's a $40 a month piece of software. Um, uh, another one is your, your suppliers. You're, you're paying $5 per unit. Any dollars that you can save while not also cutting off on growth gives you a multiple. So in an example where I renegotiate with my suppliers and I pick up just even $25,000 a year in cost savings, which for a supplier, that's not that much over the course of a year. You multiply that times the multiple. If you get a 4X uh, uh, on your deal, you just added over $100,000 to your valuation. So mm. the power of the five for one mentality, it will get you to shut off that keyword at 11 o'clock at night rather than waiting until the next day and saying, it's oh, it's no big deal. You know, I know I'm at 120% A cost, but maybe it'll turn around. Uh, you know, there's all these little things that we do um, uh, uh, that 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 cost us money as we're growing. So, so that's the tip that I would say is adopt that mindset in the 12 months before you go to market, and you will pull up enough dollars. Uh, when I did my first exit, um, that was the first time I came aware of it. This is now 20 years ago. Um, um, we created over a quarter of a million dollars worth of savings, um, uh, and we um, our entrance multiple was a five and a half, so it was over one. Point four million dollars. I mean, we got down to buying cheaper pens. Uh, <laughs> you know, people don't use pens as much nowadays. But you know, it was just the thinking of it. So you're in this fast growth mode, um, and a lot of times that means people are throwing pennies and dollars out alongside the road because they're driving so fast. And the ability yeah. to keep that laser focus before you go to exit. So that that's my tip, and it applies to every seller, big or small. Um, and, and my my closing promise to you is, we we you know Danielle and our team we're, we're taken hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of exits and we're boiling it down into advanced video content for you. And I will make the promise that if you go through the modules and you follow the workbook, you will know more about exiting than you do now. And you will know how the advanced deals get done. Um, uh, and, and if that's relevant to you, I can guarantee you that if you learn it to that level, there's no question in my mind that whatever your value is today, you will add hundreds of thousands of dollars to the valuation and maybe millions. This stuff okay. makes that big of a difference uh, uh, in your life. And that's why we're so passionate about it. Um, and it's not about using Northbound or anybody else in the industry. It's about knowing what you need to do before you go to market and then knowing how to negotiate with that strength in mind is uh, uh, the, the most leverageable thing that you can do, you know, after having good products and, and having a good company. And so uh, that's the promise I'll make if you go through the program. Awesome. Awesome. It's kind of like turning a, you know, you, you want to make your exit you know, more profitable uh, as much as turning a 30 second tip into a four, four minute tip. Um, that's the kind of multiple that you can, uh, you can do guys <laughs> exactly. right there. So, Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're going to have to change the name of these 30 second tips to a different uh, time frame here. But anyways, that was very valuable. And the exit ticket course is very valuable. We thank you guys for all the, you know, I know, I know what it takes to put uh, courses together. And I know that tons and tons of hours of research and, and filming and everything to that. I know it took to, to get this done. So we appreciate your hard work there. And I want all of you listeners out there taking advantage of this uh, training, get into your diamond account and, and make sure to, to get into it. And I want to hear your stories, you know, at the next sale and scale summit next year or a, pre, a future year where you, you come to one of us, Danielle, to Scott, to me and say, Hey, you know, thanks to the exit ticket, you know, I was able to get 
you know, this amount of money on my exit and I know I wouldn't have got it before. That's the kind of stuff we love to hear. So um, I want you guys to get in there. Thank you guys so much. And and I hope you um, I hope we'll be seeing you uh, in person again soon. That sounds great. Thank Thanks you. a lot, Bradley. Bye bye.